Isaiah called to preach in a time that was very, very dark. He writes that the people who have been walking in darkness have seen a great light. It was a really a dark time for the Israelites. The people of Judah had been sinking deeper and deeper in sin. They uh, uh, were becoming more hard-hearted all of the time. They were attacked by the Assyrians. 200,000 people were taken into captivity. 46 walled cities were destroyed. The rest of the people who were part of the remnant tried to, to maintain as best they could, but they were being persecuted in a terrible way. Isaiah sees Judah begin to crumble, and, and he, he goes to his kings, and he asks his kings to, to listen to what he has to say, but they ignore his pleads. They, they ignore his prayers, and, and the nation falls. They suffer defeat. But Isaiah, Isaiah foretold an event that would change everything. Beginning in Isaiah chapter six, verse, chapter 9, verse 6, we read, For a child is born to us, a son to us is given. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So 700 years after this writing, the world enters into a time of peace, the, the Roman colonies and that part of the world, into a time of peace they've never known, they've never seen before. And it's all because a man who was 33 years old became the savior of the world. And I'm not talking about Jesus Christ. Let me explain. The name of this savior was Caesar Augustus. We got to go back some 40 years before the time of Christ, and we start with the, tag, the tragic death of Julius Caesar, who was born in 100 B.C. On the 10th of January, 49 B.C., Julius Caesar was 51 years old when he led his armies across the Rubicon Rivers. And after he conquered the lands in which he went, he became the undisputed ruler of the world, of the Roman Empire. He conquered Gaul, which was France. He conquered the British Isles. He even had the Germanic people bowing down before Rome. So Julius Caesar conquers the world. He returns back to Rome, but there's still civil unrest. There is, there's rebellion and riots going on in town. So two very important things happen in Julius Caesar's life. The first thing is that when he comes back to Rome, he tries to wrest control of the Senate to himself. He wants to be the supreme ruler and leader. No more of a republic. He wants it to be a, basically a dictatorship. The second thing that happens is he's met by a mystic by the name of Sporina. And Sporina says, Caesar, beware of the Ides of March. And we know what that's about, the 15th of March. So the night before Caesar is to go to the Senate... His wife has a terrible dream, and she said, Caesar, don't go to the Senate the next day. I, I, I saw in this vision you, you covered with blood, and Caesar ignored her. So the next morning, Julius Caesar got up, and, and he, goes, he goes to the Senate. As he's on his way, he's met again by Sporina, this mystic, and she says, the Ides of March are upon us. They have come, but they have not yet left. So on the 15th of March, 44 B.C., Julius Caesar walks up the steps to the Senate. There he's met by 40 senators. One of them, his best friend, Marcus Brutus, a tu Brute, and they stab him to death with swords and knives. Thus ends the career of Julius Caesar. At that moment, the entire Roman Empire is swept back into ruin and despair. All kinds of bad things happen. Wars rage and towns are destroyed. Farms are neglected. Streets are unsafe for people to walk in. Uh, bandits travel along and, and they kidnap people. They sell them into slavery. 
trades diminish, investments stand still, the interest rates begin to soar as property values begin to sink. Somebody said Rome was full of men who lost their economic footing. They had lost their, their uh, moral stability. Women who are dizzy with a newfound freedom now uh, cause divorces and abortions and adultery to increase. The world is falling apart. And for 20 years, this part of the world sees peace taking a vacation. Then the story changes. A child is born. His name is Gaius Octavius. At the age of 12, Gaius makes a speech at his grandmother's death that people talked about for years. They were so impressed. At the age of 18, Julius Caesar asked Gaius Octavius to go into battle with him into Spain. Julius Caesar is so impressed by young Octavius that when he comes back, Caesar changes his will. And after he is murdered at the Senate, his will stated that Gaius Octavius would be his successor, would take his place there in the Senate. And he did. Now, here's the amazing part of the story. Gaius Octavius starts preaching about a kingdom, his kingdom. He travels around the countryside. He's, he's preaching about morals and about values. He's, he's telling women, don't, don't have abortions. He, he wants to strengthen the home and, 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 and bring the home back together. He tells young bachelors, don't have sex before marriage. Wait until you're married. And you know what? The people listened. They, they took his message to heart. And peace is declared. So in 29 B.C., the Roman Senate officially gives Octavius, this 33-year-old young man, the titles of Savior and God. A coin is minted. On one side is the image of Julius Caesar. At the bottom of that image is the word God. On the other side of the coin, the image of Gaius Octavius is cast. And below his image are the words, Son of God. Octavius is declared the ultimate ruler in the world. And his name is changed from, from Gaius Octavius to, you guessed it, Caesar Augustus. So when we read in Luke chapter 2 verse 1 that in the days of Caesar Augustus, we're looking at a world that really had everything that it needed. They had a fantastic road system. They had a universal language, which was Greek. They had a, a powerful economy, a great army. The world was at peace. It had everything that it needed. Now, wait a minute. We read here in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, where it says, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. That's God's gift of peace. God was giving this to the world. But it makes no sense for some other God... Some other God to send a gift into the world of Caesar Augustus. Why, why make the announcement, peace on earth, when that gift of peace has already arrived, when it already existed? The world has Caesar, yet God comes with this ill-timed gift? What's the point? Well, today you can ask a guy on the street what he thinks about what's going on and ask him if, if, if we have peace, and he may agree. He may say, yeah, I mean, look at our, our money. He says, in God we trust. At least we trust in the God of commerce and wealth. We trust in those gods. I mean, uh, we're a superpower, right? We've got the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, the Coast Guard, the Reserves. We've got a, a great Air Force. We've got F-14s, F-15s, F-16s, F-18s, F-22 Raptors. We've got the B-1 bomber, the B-2 bomber, the B-52 bomber, and the 2B and not-to-be bomber. Are you paying attention? 
We have smart bombs. We have laser-guided missiles. We have nuclear weapons. We've not had a war on our shores since the Civil War in 1865. We have our freedoms. First Amendment rights, Second Amendment rights. We have gold everywhere, gold watches, gold earrings, gold necklaces. We even have a restaurant with golden arches. So 2,700 years ago, God comes along and says, you know what? You need a Savior. You need a Savior. Why? Who needs that? The people said at that time, that's ridiculous. I mean, the Romans declared peace, right? They had it externally. They had peace all over their, their belongings, yet internally they were not at peace. And the, the, the Roman world imploded a few years later. We may declare peace, but are we at peace? There's violence in the streets. Verbal assaults are cast at one politician to another. We fight over whether we wear a mask or don't wear a mask. People are still sold into slavery. Terror grips our world and our nation, and the poverty and starvation still exist all around us. So you might be thinking, well, he might be right. Maybe we aren't at peace. Years ago, one person said, peace is that glorious moment in history when everybody stops to reload. In 1968, the media reported that there had been 14,533 known wars since 36 years before Christ. Since 1945, there have been 70-plus wars, 200 international conflicts. And since 1958, 100 nations have been involved in some form of conflict. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, I know all that. I know the history. But you know what? Things still really aren't that bad. You might be, you might be kidding yourself. Isaiah writes that this, this Messiah that was coming would be the, the prince of peace. Man, that's, that's a really important Hebrew phrase. The Old Testament priest would take a spotless lamb, one that had no blemish or flaws, no broken bones, no diseases. They would offer that up as a sacrifice for the sins of the people, but it was only good for a short amount of time, for a year or so. Jesus came as the prince of peace. Prince, we know the prince is typically the son of the king. The Prince of Peace, the Son of God, came as that ultimate sacrifice, the last of the sacrifices that would be needed for the sins of mankind. He came and he died on the cross for my sins, your sins. He is the one that ultimately brings a peace the world cannot give. That's who Jesus is. That's who Isaiah prophesied him to be. We need that kind of peace. Why? Why do we need it? We need it because Satan thrives on conflict. There's no shortage of conflict today, is there? It's kind of like the, the guy that went to the zoo and he sees this great big cage and there's a lion at one end and on the other side is a pretty active monkey. And he looks at this and he asks the zookeeper, he said, um, how does this work having the lion and the monkey both in the same cage? And the guy says, eh, for the most part, it's okay. The visitor said, do they ever not get along? And the zookeeper said, yeah, sometimes. And the visitor said, what do you do then? And the guy said, well, we just get a new monkey. Well, that's kind of a silly story, but it represents something very real. Now, we understand the world in which we live, will, there will always be conflict. We, we know that. We read the paper and watch TV and listen to the radio and hear about conflicts. But when conflicts happen within the body of Christ, it, it causes us to take a, a step back, and, 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 and we're saddened when that happens. 
Rusty Russell is Bob Russell's son. Bob Russell was the kind of the founding minister of Southeast Christian Church over in Louisville, Kentucky today that runs well over 20,000 people. Rusty, his son, preaches at, at New Day Christian Church down in Florida. He just recently wrote that this summer in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis, I received two emails from people upset at how we're handling the situation. The first said she was leaving the church because we weren't properly social distancing we thought we were, and weren't making people wear masks. The second person said she was leaving because we were listening to the liberal media and refusing to loosen restrictions on social distancing. I can tell you from experience that for the last 10 months, we have not been able to please everyone. No matter how hard we have tried, we can't make everybody happy. And unfortunately, it leads to varied opinions and comments being made and a little bit of conflict here and there. The problem is conflict comes with a price. Tom Rainer, uh, a well-known Christian author, expert in church growth, church policy, church life, said that the vast majority of preachers that they deal with saying that they are considering quitting their churches. He said, it's a trend I've not seen in my lifetime. He said, some are just weeks away from making an announcement. Some will take secular employment. Some will move to vocational ministries. Uh, some, will take, uh, some will go to the marketplace ministry. But he said, many will make the move. Many will move. Why? He gave six reasons. Number one, pastors are tired of the pandemic, just like all of you are. They're, they're tired of this. Number two, they're greatly discouraged about the fighting going on within their congregations regarding the post-pandemic church. Number three, they're discouraged about losing members and about small attendance. Number four, they don't know if their church will be able to afford the ministries that they have been doing in the past. Number five, criticisms against pastors increases and number six the workload for pastors has increased exponentially he ends the article by saying pastors are burned out beaten up and downtrodden many are about to quit you may be surprised to discover your pastor is among them now tyson's not going anywhere i've nailed his door shut But I want you to know, this young man from me bears a heavy burden every week because he reads and he hears and he deals with the variety of complaints that come about how we try to minister to a thousand people and we're not pleasing everybody. We try to do the best we can. We try to lead according to God's plan. And I believe that the Tyson and our leaders are doing just that but it is not an easy road. We got to remember, folks, Satan's happiest. He's most successful when divisions and conflict rear their ugly heads in the church. Our enemy is not in here. Our enemy is out there. That's where the enemy is. Peter says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He roams, he prowls like a roaring lion, looking whom he might eat looking who he might devour, who he might consume. The Bible calls Satan the father of lies. Do not give in to the temptation to stir up trouble. Instead, be known as a peacemaker. James says in chapter 3, peacemakers who sow peace raise a harvest of goodness, of righteousness, of right living, of godly people. 
we need to start being kind to one another. We really need to do that. I mean, the next time you're walking down the street downtown and you see a car parked there, illegally parked, and you see a ticket on that window, take that right off and tear it up and throw it away. I mean, the person will never even know they got a ticket. No, don't, don't, don't do that. You're thinking, all right, this is great. We need peace because Satan thrives on conflict. We need peace also because sometimes we're just, we're just not sure about life. Life doesn't make much sense to us. And I know even today we, we get to the point where sometimes our Christian walk is confusing, but I think it was probably even much more so in the days of the New Testament, even when Jesus was there. John the Baptist very early on knew that his cousin Jesus was the Messiah. He even said, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He, he knew who Jesus was, but that didn't stop John from having questions. As a matter of fact, there were some doubts in his mind. We, we look at something that happens in the book of Matthew chapter 11, and it says, John the Baptist, he's in prison, hears about the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to Jesus... And they ask, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for somebody else? Jesus said, go back to John. Tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Now, I believe that John... John was confused. John was having trouble. He had immediate expectations of a new kingdom being formed. Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world. And so John's thinking that he's going to bring a new kingdom to bear. And it might have met the fall of Rome, but of anything, it met the new kingdom of God coming. And he had to learn, just like we learn today, that Jesus did not come to rescue us from trouble. He did not come to bring an end to sickness an end to the fighting, an end to pain. He, he didn't come to do those things. He came to prepare us for a perfect world that is to come. And there is that day coming, folks, and it may be soon that Jesus returns to this world and makes this world brand new. He said there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And God has the capability of performing both of those tasks without a problem. And he's making us ready for that new heaven and that new earth. Often this life doesn't make sense. Why cancer? Why disease? Why, why COVID-19? Why accidents? Why failed marriages? Why rebellious children? Why, why natural disasters? D, why do bad things happen to good people? I tell you what, because there are no good people. We try to be good, and we try to do good things, and that's great, but by our nature, our fallen nature, we are not good. Left to our own devices, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we will make the wrong choice, the bad decision. We will walk in sin, because that's what a fallen person does. But God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Jesus came from the cradle to the cross to make us ready for heaven. That's why he came. Now, there are a lot of other reasons why we, can, we need to pursue peace, but let's talk a little bit this morning about how we find it. Where do you find peace in the middle of all the confusion, the turmoil, the unrest that goes on around us? Number one, you do this. You get back into God's word. Get into his word. Psalm 119 says, Great peace have those who love your law, your word, and nothing 
can make them stumble. The prophet Isaiah said, you, God, will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Steadfastness happens when we are glued to the word of God, when we're taking God's word into us. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And Paul told the church at Ephesus, for Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two groups and who who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility folks get into god's word I know it's hard this time of year, man. It's Christmas time, and, and, and we want to watch all the Christmas specials on TV, The Grinch and, and Polar Express and 24 Hours of the Christmas Story. Boy, I'm so looking forward to that. <laughs> We've got Christmas presents to wrap. I've got to finish wrapping up that power drill for Debbie. I bought her today. Um, we got parties to go to, people to see, all those kind of things. But man, if you want to find peace, get back to the place that tells us where peace comes from, that perfect peace, and that's in his word. The word peace finds itself exposed in Scripture 249 times. 249 times peace is talked about in the Bible. In, in 2021, we're going to start as a congregation, as a, as a church family, going through a book called Core 52. You'll hear more about this real soon. But it's going to be an opportunity where all of us can go through God's word together, learning together systematically. The psalmist said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Get into the word. Number two, be a part of the body. The apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. The greatest struggle that we're having with, and I I hate even talking about COVID-19, but one of the greatest struggles we have is the fact that we cannot be the body of Christ like the body of Christ needs to be the body of Christ. I mean, we can't get together like we want to. And it's a, it's a problem. And there is a real blessing that we have in being able to get up in the morning. And, and if you're still at home, turn on the TV set and, and watch it on YouTube, Facebook, listen to it on the radio to live stream it in. Get up in your PJs and, and drink your coffee, breakfast, and, and watch church on TV. I don't like the idea of thinking about some of you in PJs, but nonetheless, it makes it so easy to stay at home. It really does. But these conditions will change. I believe they will. The Bible says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that that day of his return is drawing near. I am not asking or advocating that anyone take risks. That if you are a person that's predisposed with an illness, if if you have conditions in your health that cause you to be at risk, you, you don't need to be out around a lot of people. If you choose to come to worship and you want to wear a mask, by all means, wear a mask. This area is dedicated for masks only. Some of you ought to be wearing masks anyway from what I see from here. Uh, No, 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 I'm just teasing. If you want to wear a mask, fine. If you don't, that's fine also. But please be courteous to different opinions. Don't make this an issue of, of of complaints and conflict. If you need to stay a distance, give people their distance. And let's, let's regard everybody else's feelings about this issue. One day, it's going to be taken away, and we'll be able to come back together as we, sh- as we should. So, come back to church. You know, come back to Sunday school. Come back to the place where, where peace can be found. Tyson last week talked about a Gallup poll that said that um, 
Out of all the markers that were done on this poll from 2019 to 2020 regarding people's mental health, the only marker that showed an increase, a health increase in mental health, was for people who went to church every week. A 4% increase in mental health values as opposed to decrease in all other markers from 2019 to 2020. I know not everybody can do this every week, but when we're able to do that, come back. Number three, share God's peace with somebody else. If you found that peace, don't keep it to yourself. Do you know who the first group of people that God sent his message to? It was a group of shepherds. In, in Luke chapter 2, it says, That night there were shepherds staying in the field nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah. The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. God brings this marvelous gift, and who does he bring it to? Not a bunch of bankers or, or lawyers or rich people. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but he comes, to, he comes to the shepherds. That's who he tells it to. Now, all the Christmas plays I've ever seen, shepherds are normally the four-year-old boys in dad's bathrobe with grandpa's cane as a, as a staff. That's, that's who they are. They're the nice guys, right? They're the good guys. That's who we like. Not so much in the New Testament. Not so much. The rabbi said there are six professions you don't want to go into, and one of those is a shepherd. You don't want to be a shepherd. Pharisees would never do business with a shepherd. They would buy milk and wool, but they would do it secondhand. They would never do it directly from the shepherd. A shepherd was never allowed to give testimony in court. He was never allowed to go into the synagogue, into the temple, and probably for some pretty good reasons. One is that shepherds walked around in sheep manure all day, and they were ceremonially unclean. Couldn't come in. Another reason why was they were always trespassing. They would, they would move their herds onto somebody else's property. Sheep had an ability to eat the grass and go right down to the root and destroy the land. No one liked the shepherds coming around because they tore up the land. They were typically involved in the black market. They were considered to be untrustworthy and thieves. And as the uh, uh, Willie Nelson of the Bible Times would say, Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be shepherds. So God sends out his best choir in heaven. They come to the earth, and the angels sing the hallelujah chorus to a bunch of guys that can't read or write to this lowly band of shepherds. The Romans didn't want Jesus. The, the Jews didn't want him. So God sent this story of the birth of Messiah to lowly shepherds. Now, let's face it. You and I, we're a group of nice people, right? We're, we're, good, we're good folks. But maybe God would have us share this message with people that aren't so nice, like you. God might, God might want you to be going down to the low-income housing area of town. He may want you to go into, when they're open, the nursing homes. He, he might want you to go to people that aren't so nice. Maybe he wants us to go to the down and out folks. Maybe even that, that person next door, as you leave this morning, I want you to take one of these or two, however many you need, with you. Inside this little package are two packets of cocoa mix. Go to your neighbor. Go to your friend, your co-worker, that person that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't have that peace in their life that you've got. Sit down and make some hot cocoa. Have cocoa in a conversation. And let that conversation end up with the story of Jesus and how 
The Son of God has brought peace into your life. I really enjoy what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. And that is the wonder of all wonders, that God loves the lowly. God is not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. God marches right in. He chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to lowliness. He loves the lost, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, and the broken. Do you have peace today? Is peace a part of your life? Are you able to rejoice with the shepherds as the angels told them, peace on earth, God's goodwill and favor comes to rest upon those who love him, who adore him. This morning, we're going to, we're going to watch our young people do a, a Christmas play. We're going to be singing Away in a Manger as an invitation hymn. So during the singing of Away in a Manger, if you need to make a decision for Jesus, we invite you to come. It may be to make that first-time commitment to Jesus Christ that I, I believe that he is the Son of God and I take him as my Lord and Savior. You're baptized in him. It may be that as a, a, a long-attending uh, immersed believer, you want to partner in ministry with us here, and we would love to have you come. Maybe there's just prayer that you need in your life. We'll pray with you. Whatever that need is, why don't you stand as we sing Away in a Manger together.